came to the school in 11th grade and then uh, got to meet her, her dad and and uh, just great people, great people. And uh, so really be praying for their ministry. If God puts it on your heart to help support them, that's great too. And uh, definitely keep them in your prayers. And uh, tonight we're going to have the baptisms <clears throat> at 530. If you want to come and, and support you know, those who are getting baptized, that would be great. And at 6 p.m., <clears throat> we're going to do a PowerPoint. I'm going to, when I preach on Sunday evenings, you know, I will be taking turns, different pastors preaching and um, leaving sometimes. I watch a Christian movie. But uh, <clears throat> uh, the message I'll be giving, I've been giving for about a year. Try to give it for about two or three years. But it's probably, it really shows what the demonic the demonic global agenda, where they want to take us. Now, it's not going to happen because the end point that they want and what God says is going to happen are two different things. But um, So God's going to shut it down. But I, I call it the arrival of Nietzsche's supermen, <clears throat> men who are trying to become gods and then viewing the rest of humanity as useless. So if you do get a chance to come tonight, we're going to try to live stream it too. Is that correct, Pat? Yeah, we're going to live stream it too, but that'll be around 6 p.m. And um, it's it's really sad. Whenever I get what I think is from studying the Bible, from studying what's going on and thinkers out there, whenever I get what I think is a real cutting-edge message that the church needs to hear, um, it usually takes me a good five to ten years to get permission to speak on the topic, and then I get called a kook. And then 10 years later, I started getting apologies from, from pastors. And, and um, so, um, but things are, things are really getting, getting hot in the kitchen. Uh, but let the church be the church. We've we, we got to live for Jesus and, if need be, be willing to suffer and die for King Jesus. It's the least we can do. He died for us. So we're going to pick it up here at 1 Thessalonians. Chapter four. By the way, a quick quick apology. Um, I wanted to wish on Facebook my wife and my daughter simultaneously a happy Mother's Day. So I kind of searched around and I stumbled on an old post that my daughter gave with a picture of me, my wife, my daughter, and my grandson. I thought, what a great picture. So I posted it and said, happy Mother's Day to my, my wife and my daughter. And I've never read what the post was. The post was from two years ago when I had the brain shut down, almost a, a stroke, and it was a blow-by-blow blow what I was going through. So now I got people all over the world thinking I had a stroke, and so I'm spending a good five hours a week explaining to people, no, pray for my wife's health. I'm, all, I'm doing okay. And, uh, but I apologize for not understanding technology enough to send out a false alarm and... And I'm sure God honored your prayers, even though, um, well, he answered your prayers two years ago is what I'm getting at. So, um, but I'm really sorry about that. The first Thessalonians chapter four, and we're going to pick up at uh, verse four. So let's, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, may we come to you as people who are brokenhearted, people who are poor in spirit. We know we're spiritually bankrupt, Lord. People who mourn for their sin and come to you for salvation. And so I just pray, Lord, that we would be humbled and we would tremble at your word. Not just tremble to hear your word, but even tremble when we preach your word. And your word is perfect. Your word is infallible but you call fallible, imperfect preachers to proclaim your perfect truth. And so I pray, Lord, you would cancel the man. Please, Lord, don't, in a, in a culture of fake news, Lord, may truth be proclaimed here. So cancel, cancel the man, forgive me my sins, fill me with your spirit, and anoint me to proclaim your truth so I would not lead anyone astray. Pray open hearts and minds to receive truth from your word, including my mind, and empower us to apply these truths to our lives so that we can be pleasing in your sight 
build your kingdom until that day <clears throat> when your son takes a stand upon the earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Cool. Okay, uh, my voice is a little gravelly today, so I apologize. You're used to the, you're used to the the real soft, angelic <laughs> voice that. Uh, um, but last week we talked about, you know, abstain from sexual immorality. That pretty much was the whole message, and we talked about, according to the Bible. Sexual immorality is everything outside of monogamous heterosexual marriage. Okay, one man and one woman, and by the grace of God, it's to be for one lifetime. And uh, so we talked about about that. Remember, Paul is commanding these new believers. He planted a church not long before this. He's he's commanding them. He, these are people who came out of paganism and he's commanding them to make sure that paganism comes out of them. Okay? I'm telling you, America is, is, we're no longer Christian. We're no longer, our culture is no longer secular, atheistic. Our culture is neo-pagan. We've opened the portals. We're calling for the ancient pagan gods to come back. So we slaughter our children even before they're born. We lose respect for the elderly and don't respect our parents. And You know, if you throw God out the window, you know, Nietzsche even recognized if God is dead, truth is dead, morality is dead, meaning is dead. And what C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer warned us, if God is dead, if you kick God out of your culture, if God is dead, man is dead too. Okay. And uh, we see a lot of dead people walking around, and they don't know Jesus. We got to share Jesus with them, but we live in a culture that is thrown out out of God. And um, God has called us to hagiosmos. He's called us to sanctification, to be set apart. Even if you work with non-believers, you ought to be set apart, and they'd be looking at you and saying, "Man, why is that guy so different from me?" Okay. Um, God has called us to sanctification, not porneia, not fornication, not sexual immorality. We're to be holy. We're to flee sexual immorality and live for Jesus, not for our own lustful desires. Okay? Um, and so uh, we've got to be ruled by God, not by our sinful desires. We've got to resist temptation and be holy. Now, let's look at verses 4 to 6. Paul continues this theme of abstaining from sexual immorality. I mean, these guys came out of paganism where I guess fornicating was just the name of the game. I mean, you just did it. And uh, some did it as their worship for their false gods. And so he said, abstain. You should abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel, your own body, in sanctification and honor. Do you think of your physical body as set apart for the Lord? So sanctification means. Your body's set apart for the Lord. Okay? You might be saying, well, I'm, you know, I got injuries or whatever, but I'm not going to take care of them. Your body starts falling apart. Hey, look, you're supposed to be serving Jesus. So you got to take care of that body. Okay? Um, but you also got to use that body in a set-apart way. You don't use your body the way you used it when you were a non-believer. Now your body is a living sacrifice to the Lord. You got to live for King Jesus. Is your vessel, is your body sanctified and a thing of honor? Okay? Verse 5, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. I mean, there, there are people that the decisions they make is because of their lusts, okay? They don't know God. Verse 6, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. Control 
your own body. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Control your own body. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, that means separate. You separate your body for the purposes of the Lord. Okay? You present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We don't offer dead animal sacrifices anymore. Now we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We say, Lord, I sacrifice my agenda, my kingdom. I throw that away. And I'm to be set apart. I'm to be holy, set apart from the world. And that's my reasonable service. And do not be conformed. Don't be outwardly conformed to this world. You know, I mean, now you, nowadays what you get in trouble, you can lose your job if you don't get the right pronouns for somebody. It's, it's like, give me a break. God created him in the beginning, male and female, period. Don't conform to this world. Now, you might have to keep your mouth shut on the job site to keep your job nowadays, okay? But believe me, it's going to get, we're real close. If things don't change in America, we're real close to Christians being unemployable. And we're going to have to, we're going to, we're already being forced to be a, a, a counterculture and a subculture of our own culture. This is not grandpa's America, okay? Our government doesn't love Christians anymore. Don't be outwardly conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed, be inwardly transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is, what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. We got to be inwardly transformed. Our bodies, God gave it, you know, the thing is to most of our churches today preach so little doctrine that I get kids coming into my classes at Crosspoint and I find out they don't even know that we're gonna, their bodies are going to be raised someday. They think after we die, we're just going to be spirits with the Lord, which we will be until the bodily resurrection when Jesus returns. God's still interested in your body. God wants to use your body. But when Phil Fernandez works out or does the stretches that the physical therapists tell me to do, and sometimes I got to take a little bit of medication to reduce the pain, am I doing that so Phil Fernandez can be happy and painless? Or am I doing that because I could be a better warrior for King Jesus, my king who died for me? God's interested in your body. Are you giving your body over to sinful, selfish desires? That's what the pagans do. But if you trust in Jesus for salvation, you're not a pagan anymore. Stop acting like them. The old Phil Fernandez is dead. And I can bring him back every now and then. You play the fool. Don't bring back the old man. Don't bring back the old lady. Don't bring back the old you. You're a new creation in Christ. Act that way. We ought to look different from the pagans. We ought to act different from the pagans. How come we listen to the same music and we like the same stuff they like? You know, sometimes you got to find common ground. Okay? When I spar with guys at the... the Kids have combat sports. I don't, I don't ask, hey, are you a Christian? I only spar with Christians. No, I'll punch non-believers in the face, and they'll punch me in the face too, finding common ground. You should see we got three Christian guys there, and then Josh makes four. Josh, all he does is preach when he comes there. Josh Follin. So we got four Christian guys there. Now everybody, when we leave, everybody hugs everybody, says, love you, man. I say, God bless you, and they say, yeah, God be with you too, man. And... I'm telling you, some of these guys are not believers. Some of them are baby believers. But um, what, are you, what are you using your body for? Is your body set apart for King Jesus? Um, don't live like the pagans who don't know God. 
each religion, each worldview, each view of reality, each religion comes with its own quote unquote moral lifestyle. So don't try to be a Christian who lives in accordance with the pagan worldview. I mean, George Barner's research, I mean, we're down to like something like 4% of professing Christians actually hold to a Christian worldview. We got right now pastors who are preaching to congregations in Kitsap County and because they don't emphasize biblical truth, doctrinal truth, sometimes half of their congregation doesn't even believe in absolute truth anymore. What's true for me is true for me. It doesn't have to be true for you. Let me tell you something. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, he uttered a truth that's for all people at all times and all places. God's word is truth, whether you believe it or not. But don't think like the pagans and don't act like the pagans. You know, in the 1960s, I tell people I was born, you know, I was born January 1st, 1960. I tell people I was born the first day in 1960, and then the whole country went down the tubes. And then I joke around. I have no idea what my name means. I know Philip means lover of horses, and I hate horses. And um, uh, they stink, and they're bigger than they look on TV. When you get on top of it, it's like, man, if I fall off this thing, I'm going to get hurt. And um, I have no idea what Fernandez means. I looked it up, and it says, son of Fernando. So I looked up, what is... Fernando mean, and it's like they don't know. So so it's kind of whatever. And um, now, I, why did I even bring that? Oh, yeah, so I was born the first day in 1960. So I tell people that my name in Portuguese, I lied to them. I say it means after this one comes the judgment. But the 1960s, that was a rough time. What happened in the 1960s? It was the return of the pagan gods to America. You had gurus coming around. You had the Beach Boys and the Beatles falling for transcendental meditation and all that kind of stuff. You had sex, <clears throat> drugs, rock and roll, which at that time was a music of rebellion. You have a big, big interest in the UFOs and maybe there's life on other planets when we're actually being demonically deceived. Eastern meditation, ESP, extrasensory perception. Okay, and what we did was we, because of our secularism, our atheistic type thinking, we separated these practices from their religious roots. So we thought that Eastern meditation, emptying your mind, was just a way to help you through your problems. It had nothing to do with Eastern religion and believing that God is a non-personal force and you have to stop thinking. And um, um, we started looking at UFOs saying, well, they can't be demons. We don't believe that stuff anymore. They must be uh, intelligent beings from other planets. Uh, we, we looked at drugs, and we didn't realize that the Greek word for sorcery, pharmakia, where we get our word pharmacy from, ancient sorcery was involved with a lot with drugs to put people in altered states of consciousness. There's some drugs you can take that almost immediately, I think it's called crocodile. You take the drug and immediately shadowy, ent shadowy entities appear and try to get you to hurt yourself or to hurt others. And it causes like cancerous sores start growing on the outside of your body. And um, uh, it's, this, is, this is paganism. If we're going to live like pagans, if we're going to kick God out of our culture, we're going to lose that protection. And, um, and so you can't live like the pagans. The pagans live by their passions and their lust. We must be set apart for the Lord. You know, we've got to have self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Okay. Against such things, there is no law. Self-control. We, we, we often feel like, well, you know what? I, I, I can't say no to this sin. It's so tempting. I just can't say no to this sin. You know, read Romans 6, 17 and 18. If you're a believer, you are no longer a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness. Now, most preachers today act like we're both slaves to sin and slaves to righteousness. 
Okay? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're dead to sin. Your master has been defeated by Jesus. You are no longer a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. Yet we still sin. Why? Because we can. We do a good job imitating um, slaves of sin. We bring back the old man. So it's not like two vicious dogs in a battle. It's like when we sin, it's like taking a, a dead dog on a leash and dragging him around a block. It's unnatural to us because we've been redeemed. We're children of God. Yeah, we do it all the time. If not in our actions or our attitude or our words, we do it in our minds. And we won't be perfect till Jesus comes back. But stop acting like a slave to sin. You know, with the emancipation and the freeing of the slaves, and actually the South didn't, what it did was if the, if the runaway slaves went to the North, they'd no longer return them, and then they'd get a job fighting for the Union. But, but whatever the case, the Emancipation Proclamation and and then later on, after the Civil War, the amendment that freed the slaves, a lot of the slaves didn't know what to do. All they knew was working on the plantation. And they went to their former masters and said, hey, can we just you know, work the land and then live off of that ourselves? And the masters would say, well, the Civil War devastated me. I can't pay you. So you, could, you actually had slaves that were freed that for all practical purposes still lived like slaves sometimes. Okay. You we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer pagans. We're children of the triune God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Stop acting like slaves to sin. We are slaves, but we are slaves to King Jesus. And there's no greater freedom than being a slave to King Jesus. and uh, But uh, we got to control our own bodies. Don't live like the pagans who don't know God. They're controlled by their passions and lusts. We must be set apart. That's what mean, being holy means. Set apart for the Lord. We ha must have self-control. Gifts of the Spirit. My God might give you one gift. He might give me a different gift. Okay? Different supernatural abilities. But the fruit of the Spirit, you're not supposed to choose. Fruit of the Spirit, you're supposed to have all of it. Say, man, I got eight out of nine fruit of the Spirit. I'm really, really lousy on love, but that's okay. Eight out of nine, that's pretty good. No, you're lousy on love. You're not, you're not walking strong with King Jesus. So you look at the fruit of the Spirit. Don't pick which ones you want. God has given us self-control. Now, God said, look, I'm gonna, I will judge all sexual sins, whether it's by the non-believers or the believers, Okay. Paul says, work out, Philippians chapter 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for it. It's a free gift. Stop playing games with Jesus. I'm, I'm telling you, if you've been playing games with Jesus, okay, and you act like, well, he's my savior, now I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. If you've been playing games with Jesus, let me tell you, it's time to stop. You got to wake up and smell the coffee. It's getting, brothers and sisters, it's getting hot in the kitchen. This is not to be the, the time to be the layout of sea in church, lukewarm. You got to get on fire for Jesus, okay? And um, God has called us to a holy life, not an impure one. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. God called us to a holy life separated to him. Okay? Not an impure life. Non-believers should look at you and say, man, this guy is different. Of course you're different. You're set apart for King Jesus. Okay? So God called us to sanctification, not porneia, not fornication, not sexual immorality. God has called us to a holy life, not an impure one. And then Paul says in verse 8, Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So Paul's saying, look, you reject what I'm telling you right now? You're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting a man. Okay, 
You're rejecting God. You know, I can give you some advice, like, about boxing or something. We got guys here, like Jacques, that got way more experience than me. He could roll his eyes and say, boy, friends, I don't know what he's talking about. Every time you do what he says, you get nailed with an uppercut or whatever. If I give you my advice, okay, and it's not biblically based, you say, I, I disagree with you. No, I reject what you're saying. That's no big deal, okay? But Paul is saying, what I'm saying here and what he's saying in all his writings, all his letters and what's said in the entire Bible, he rejects this, does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Look, we're in the Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, okay? This is the Word of God. And I grew up in Essex County, New Jersey. And I was taught certain guys, you know, they wake up in the morning, they want to push everybody's buttons, they want to give everybody a hard time. And I was raised in a culture when a guy like that, you know, questions your manhood, you take him down, you take him down hard. Then I read God's word and I find out, oh, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. So what am I going to do? Am I going to side with my opinion? Or am I going to toss my opinion aside and say I'm set apart for the Lord if God said it? You know, it's like Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. So every once in a while I come across something in the Bible and I think, hmm, I don't know, I kind of disagree with that. Well, guess what? You disagree with God. Who's wrong? It's not God, okay? And um, But God has called us to a holy life, not an impure one, to reject this is to reject the word of God. Remember in 1 Corinthians 6.19, our temple, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's given us the Holy Spirit. We ought to recognize God's truth when it's preached and when we see it in the scriptures. Because the spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Okay. You get tempted to the same sins the non-believers do, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. They're still slaves to sin. Don't, don't be upset because you tell me about a non-believing friend who's, who's deep in sin. That's what non-believers do. Okay? Now, you got a believer that's in sin? Paul says, hey, God's going to judge. Don't play games with King Jesus. Everything we have belongs to Jesus. And that's even, even my body. Okay? I used to work out because I wanted to be, you know, buffed. I wanted to be, you know, you know, my own little Mr. Olympia or whatever, although I would never compete. I wouldn't I don't believe in walking around in Speedos, but but uh but I used to lift because it was an egotistical thing. Now it's just like, man, I'm trying to do all kinds of exercises to stay alive. Like your dad, Jared. If I live to be a hundred, I want to be. I want. I want to die behind the pulpit. I'm sure your dad would agree when he understood when Paul said, "What was me if I don't preach the gospel?" True preachers of the word. Only one way to shut us up. That's to kick us off of planet Earth. And then we'll join the praise and worship around the throne. Of the Lamb who slain, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But right now it's my job to preach. And, uh, and so preach, preach I will do. But don't reject. To reject this is to reject the word of God. Be ruled by God, not by your sinful desires. Resist temptations and be holy. Verses 9 and 10, Paul says, excel in brotherly love. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, the whole region. They express their love for them. 
but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you increase more and more. Love, unlike what our, our world teaches about love, what our culture teaches about love, love is seeking the greatest good for others and expecting nothing in return. Love is seeking the greatest good for others and expecting nothing in return, demanding nothing in return. I remember when Douglas offered to paint our entire house all by himself. He was out there working so hard, and I thought, man, that guy, he looked at our house, he's like, man, it needs to be painted. He asked my wife, what color you want to paint it? He got the paint, he painted it. That's love. That's seeking the greatest good for others and expecting nothing in return. Now, unfortunately, my father-in-law lived with us at the time, and so I think he thought that that was Douglas's ministry. So I was coming home from work, and he was cleaning the gutters, and he was doing all this other stuff, and then finally I, I told him, I said, look, if my father-in-law tells you to do something, don't. Come to us first, because he doesn't, he doesn't get it. He didn't get the memo that Douglas is a godly Christian leader who needs some time to serve other people, okay? And, um, but that's love. I've experienced love from a lot of you. Um, over and over again, you prayers, you're reaching out to me. And I, I could say at this church, like Paul says, the uh, Thessalonians, man, you're doing great in love, but I'm urging you to increase more and more. I think you're doing a great job in love. But we need more love. Okay? We must grow in our love for other believers, all believers, not just those in the local church. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. I think we're all familiar with this. They call it the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. It's describing love. Paul says this, love suffers long. It's patient and it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, isn't arrogant, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, seeks the needs of others, is not provoked, not easily angered, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity or in sin, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The way that the word there in the Greek, ponta, for all things, it means you bear through every situation. You believe Continue to believe no matter what the situation. You have hope no matter what the situation. You endure all the trials no matter what the situation. And then it says, love never fails. Now, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. The gifts aren't forever. But love is forever. I remember my first Bible teacher, he was a godly man and and uh, did a lot of good, but he gave me uh, a Tony Kampala tape to listen to. Tony Kampala preached one good message, and uh, Focus Family aired it, and you had millions of Christians buying his books, and didn't even know the guy was a socialist, okay, a neo-Marxist. And, um, uh, but he gave me one of his tapes where he was saying in the tape, uh, I preached a whole message that you cannot manifest love and power simultaneously, okay? And he preached a whole message on it. And so my Bible teacher asked if I liked it. I said, no, I gave him back the tape. I said, I think he's full of baloney. In fact, some guys just call him phony baloney Tony. And uh, I said, I think he's full of baloney. He don't know what he's talking about. He said, well, my Bible teacher said, what do you think? And I've been saved for like a year or two. It was, see, she, you remember Bill Gregory was the one who gave me the tape. And Kathy, you remember Bill Gregory? And, um, and I said, no, this guy don't know what he's talking about. I said, look, God is all-powerful and he's all-loving. There's never a time where God is not powerful and there's never a time when he's not loving. Therefore, 
you can you can manifest love and power simultaneously. In fact, I could I would actually say because God is love, the most powerful thing in the universe is love. Okay, and this reminds me. I was talking with Jared, but it reminds me of a song. It said more love, more power, more of you in my life. We got a church that we love each other. We take care of each other. Somebody's hurt. You know, we, like Paul said, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. And I'm just, I'm in awe that believers of this quality will come to my church. Church that I started in 1988 by the grace of God. And they're just like, Lord, these people are so good. They love you so much. And we love each other. We love God, everything we got. We love our neighbors as ourselves. And guess what Paul's telling us? We need more love. We need more love. We need more power. And uh, so we need more of God in our lives. You know, John 13, 34, and 35 John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said, New commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's like, when I, I, it took me like two months to figure it out as a new believer. That's not a new commandment. He always tells us to love each other. Yeah, but the older command was love your neighbor as yourself. The new commandment, love one another just as Jesus loved us. Oh, man, that's through the roof. That means no matter how much we love each other, it's not enough. We got to love each other more, okay? We need more love, more power, more of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our lives. New commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, you want the world to know that you're a follower of Jesus? Just love fellow believers. They People are looking for a community. They're looking for family, okay? And unfortunately, the American church is so messed up, you'd probably find a more loyal family if you go to a bar on Friday and Saturday nights than you would find in some of our churches. I'm, I'm telling you... Wayne, you, you've been around the block. You've been to some really good churches. And when he describes how much he loves our church and the people in it, I'm like, uh, I mean, that would be like, to me, with, with my respect for Wayne, that'd be like Mike Tyson showing up at a, a boxing gym and saying how impressed he is with the fighters, okay? We're a loving church but we need more love. We have more love. We have more power. And I'm telling you, there's a power encounter. You know, when somebody casts out a demon, that's a power encounter. But this is like a whole culture is possessed. We got people believing fake news. We got people, you know, arguing that guys ought to be able to use girls' bathrooms, and girls' locker rooms, and compete in ladies' sports. This is insanity, but it's demonic insanity. And so there's a major power encounter that's going on right now. And what's Paul's message to the church? More love, more power, more of Jesus in our lives. Again, you know, I don't, I don't remember which... I stole it from Don Davidson. I don't know what preacher he stole it from, but very rarely does a preacher say something original. Either you get it right from the Bible or from some good preacher who died 100 years ago. But he said, Jesus does not want to be a part of your life. The Mariners can be part of your life. The Seahawks can be part of your life. Your job can be part of your life. Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life. He wants to be your life.
okay? Is, are you offering your bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord? Are you really saying, Lord, I really love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me to love them more, okay? We got brothers and sisters being slaughtered for the faith all over the world right now. When's the last time you prayed for them? Now, I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm not saying that for all I know, everybody here has been praying for them. But we got to keep that in mind. We got to love all believers, not just those in our local church. And then Paul talks about work. Do your share. Verses 11 and 12 of First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. That you also aspire, so now you, you be people of love, and that you aspire to lead a quiet life. This is really interesting because this is like the loudest guy on the planet telling people to live a quiet life. We'll talk about that. That you aspire to lead a quiet life. That's kind of like people saying, I just want the government off my back. I just want to do what God called me to do. I just want to be left alone. Okay? Now, you want to share your faith and all. But he says, look, I want you to aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. That's where the expression came from. We use it in different ways, but back there it was, you know, it's amazing how many people were business owners or sons of business owners. Very few people got employed by somebody else back then. So you got to do something. You got to serve. You got to contribute to the community. You got to pay your own bills if you're healthy. Why would Paul be talking about this? We'll find out. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, those who are outside the church, and that you may lack nothing. Okay? So what Paul is saying here, work, do your share. If you're not disabled... Do what, you know, and that might be, by the way, I think that the Bible considers the two most honorable jobs on the planet Earth to be like a guy being a pastor of a church and uh, ladies raising their kids and teaching their kids in the home. Now, what are probably the two vocations that are least respected in our community today? Being a pastor and a lady raising the next generation of Christian leaders, okay? Don't fall for the lies of the world. And, um, but uh, Paul says, look, work, do your own uh, share. We all have responsibilities. Do your share, work hard. See, God calls us to serve and not be served. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Are you serving right now? I'm not asking, are you making money? Okay? You might have, like, let's say you're retiring on Social Security, but you still do your part. You still serve others. If you get real, real sickly and disabled and you're bedridden, well, you better be a prayer warrior, okay? And probably some of the greatest prayer warriors we have right now. We probably got prayer warriors and Martha's and Martha and Mary that are praying for us right now. We don't even know it. I talked to Pastor Bandera, Grace Point, and he told me, yeah, last week we prayed, uh, our whole congregation prayed for your church. I'm sure he runs his church a lot differently than I run our church. He's praying for, when's the last time we prayed for Grace Point? Let's pray for, pray for Grace Point today. Let's just love not just ourselves, but others. But whatever the case, we all have responsibilities. God called us to serve, not to be served. And then Paul says, lead a quiet life and mind your own business. Don't be a busybody who gets into everybody. You know, he's the guy that pops over to meet with you at dinner time because he's not working. He's got no food. He's the guy that pops over somebody else's house, sleeps on their couch because he's got no home. Now, I'm not talking about people with, health issues. Paul understands that you take care of people. The church is supposed to take care of people who are not healthy. And we'd do a lot better job at that, by the way, if we weren't taxed so much from the government. Because if a guy needs a dollar 
and the church gives him a dollar, he gets a dollar. If a guy needs a dollar, the government taxes us, gets a dollar, and by the time he gets the dollar and goes through the bureaucracy, he's lucky to get a nickel. So it's not even cost effective. And um, what was it, like something like half of the COVID funds that Washington State got went into uh, some kind of a uh, scam. And um, it's like, no, the, the church, the church can take care of people without uh, wasting funds. But Paul says, lead a quiet life. That's an interesting thing for me. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But look ahead at Second Thessalonians 3.10. Just a little bit later, he writes the second letter to them. And, uh, and he tells them, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, why has he got to tell that to them? In First and Second Thessalonians, Paul talks about the end times and the second coming of Christ more than just about any of his letters. You see what happened? He was only with them for a few weeks, and then the persecution came and he had to flee. So these guys were like all caught up with it. It would be like when I first got saved, it was Hal Lindsey's 1980s countdown to Armageddon. You know, and I was thinking, I don't think I should go to Bible college because Jesus is coming back so soon. Okay? That's what they were thinking 2,000 years ago. If Jesus is coming back, why should I work? Okay? And uh, Paul says, look, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. Stop mooching off each other. Mind your own business. In other words, get your own work to do so that you can pay your own bills if, you, if you're healthy. Work, work with your own hands. Look at Proverbs 14.23. Proverbs 14.23. The words of wisdom of Proverbs Proverbs 14, 23. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Man, I've known people, man, they could talk up a storm. They'd have ideas about how to make millions. In the meantime, you know, they're begging for money because they're all talk, okay? Um, in all labor there's profit. But idle chatter leads only to poverty. That's why socialism is so evil. You can work real hard and still not make any money. And uh, government pretty much gets it all and then redistributes it as it feels like it and makes people, makes people poor, even hardworking people. Paul says, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. Proverbs says, in all hard work there is profit, but idle chatter leads... Uh, then look at uh, Colossians 3.23. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So the biblical teaching on work, if you're healthy and you're, you work, you work hard and you work hard for the Lord. So when I was in landscaping, and I'll go, I'll be honest with you, I was probably the worst landscaper who ever lived. I created a lot of extra work for my coworkers, and they knew it and told me. And um, But when the boss went away, even our foreman, our little boss, when the big boss would go away, he would get with the other guys, and they all go and smoke pot, and i just continue working. And then they'd come back, and they'd always complain about whatever it was that I did. But see, I wasn't working for my foreman. I was working for King Jesus. No, I wasn't the best landscaper in the world. Believe me, you don't want me landscaping your, your yard. Um, I realized I was working for King Jesus, okay? And um cost me a lot of trouble there, too. They made a lot of fun of me. During the breaks, they would smoke pot. I would read my Bible. So they'd make fun of me for that, and I'd be like, whatever. 
Got to learn how to turn the other cheek. Might as well start now. But we got to work with our own hands. So while we wait for Christ's return, we still need to fulfill our obligations. Do not mooch off of other people. Okay? If you're looking for work and you can't find work and you got to live with your relatives, and that's fine. That's what family is for. You know, they used to, they couldn't figure out back in the 1980s, how come New Jersey per capita is the most violent state in the country? Yet, it has the lowest suicide rate. All the other violent states are also very high up on suicide rates. They couldn't figure it out. And then Michael Medved investigated it, and he said that there's one thing about New Jersey. It was the state least likely for a person to move out of and never go back. So it's very rare. Out of like, what, 250 Fernandezes and uh, 150 Minikinos and Restainos, I was the only guy that left and stayed out. Now, some of them go to New York. They stay closer. Even they, they serve, they still go back. I served three years, got saved. I go back for visits, okay? But what that was, Michael, Michael Mevitt said, that built the largest extended families in the country. So while, you know, some dude in Washington State is standing on the Tacoma Narrows Bridge and looking down at the water, some other guy's living in the basement of his family member. That's what family's for. We're supposed to be family. My cousin Bobby, you know, his dad, my Uncle Sal, died of cancer, and uh, his mom remarried a police sergeant, and he was brutal. He'd get drunk, he'd beat her, and, and he'd beat Bobby. And then Bobby was a rough guy. When Bobby was 14, Bobby busted up the guy's face, you know, because the guy was beating on him. But Bobby didn't have a place to live anymore. So he lives in our basement for a couple of years. Then he lives with my grandma in Aquino for a couple of years. My mother's cousin was offering him work. The Genovese family, crime family, he didn't want to do that. So he enlisted in the Marine Corps. It was forced recon, three Purple Hearts. And Vietnam killed him probably 20 years later, just... The whole body was falling apart when he was in his early 50s. But we're family. So, I, you know, you might say, well, I'm out of work. Hey, if you're looking for work, you know, my, that's what I mean about my grandson. If my grandson's out of work, he does like seven interviews within a month. Okay? And so we're family. If you're out of work and all, we'll, we'll take care of you. But if you're healthy, you ought to be looking. Okay, and uh, uh, any man who will not work, neither let him eat, Paul says. You know, and I'm, t I'm telling you, I do not give money to homeless people with signs and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not going to buy that guy's dope. I'm not going to buy uh, uh, that guy's alcohol. So I want to give my money. I'll give it to the Salvation Army. Okay, I'll give it to organizations that really, because, you know, you stay at the Salvation Army, you got rules. You can't be smoking dope and hanging out there. So a lot of guys that are on the street that could be right down the block in the Salvation Army, but they want to smoke their dope. Well, I'm not going to enable you. Okay. Oh, Rory, he'd be over there when he was working in Seattle. And some homeless guy begging for money he said, come on, let's go to McDonald's. I'll buy I'll buy you a meal under one condition. And the guy would say, what? And he'd say, I'll buy you a meal uh, if you listen to me about Jesus. So a guy would be down in a Big Mac and fries and soda, and he'd be hearing Rory preaching the gospel. And uh, probably taking rewards from you, Rory, right now, because you're getting... Uh, a little bit of praise here, but it's been more than one occasion where he took a guy to McDonald's and the guy was cold. And so Rory get on the ferry without a jacket that day because he gave it to a guy who needed it more than he did. And, uh, but, uh, you know, but if a guy's healthy, he ought to be working. We got a, we got a government right now that encourages homeless people to stay homely. We'll get you clean needles. We'll let you poop on the sidewalks. 
You know, when we, we, we've had to clean up poop a few times around our church and we look very closely, we put on gloves and we look for needles, make sure there's no needles around. Okay. That's not the way the government's way of helping people in need is not our way. Our way is we all bear one another's burdens. We do our share. If we're healthy, we work. But then we look around, okay, now who can I help? And these are our brothers and sisters right here. And uh, so we wait for Christ's return, you know. Uh, but a lot of the Thessalonians are saying, why should I get a job? Jesus is coming back. Well, the problem is the church has been saying that for 2,000 years. So we got to live, this is important, live like Jesus could return soon. But plan like you're going to live to be 100. I'm going to repeat that. Live like Jesus could return soon. You'd be all that Jesus called you to be right now, yet you still plan like you'll live to be 100. You realize I had guys telling me not to enroll in Bible college because Jesus is coming back too soon anyway. Okay? But I just thought, you know what? If Jesus comes back and I'm in the middle of my first year at Liberty University, so be it. I was doing what he called me to do. Okay? Uh, See, the Bible makes the end-time prophecies so vague that every generation of Christians would think Jesus could return in my lifetime. And that calls us to live lives of service, recognizing our king could come in our lifetime. But Jesus makes the end time prophecy so specific, the last generation will definitely know. Now, Jesus says when the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist or the image of the Antichrist is standing in the holy place in the temple, then head for the hills. I'm like, look, Jesus, I'm slower than that. So they start building the temple. I'm heading for the hills, you know. I want more than 10 minutes heads up, okay. Um, so that last generation will know. We got things that we could look at, like the increase of lawlessness. Duh, that's going on right now. Man's love growing cold. The Jews hated in all nations. All nations are going to hate Israel in the last days. Believers, Christians. Jesus said, if you find the world hates you, those hated me before it hated you. We're going to be hated in all nations. We got the destructive power to blow this planet up. You got nations coming together that the Bible says will come together in the last days and invade Israel. There's a lot of things going on, okay? Do I know for sure Jesus is coming back in my lifetime? No, I think he probably will. But the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago thought he probably will. So I'm not telling you, quit your jobs and... um, We'll go sit on the roof and wait for Jesus to come and snatch us away, which, by the way, that happened in the, was it the Millerites? The late 1800s. He apologized. His followers didn't. He said, I was wrong. I got it wrong. His followers said, no, you were right. But he just returned invisibly or something. You know, they ended up, you got Seventh-day Adventists. You got all kinds of groups coming out of that. So, but, um, but whatever the case, you know, why should I get a job? Jesus is coming back. Look, we've been saying that for 2,000 years. Live like Jesus could return soon, but plan like you'll live to be 100. So as we wait for Christ's return, we still need to fulfill our obligations. And don't mooch off of others. Be the kind of person that even non-believers will respect. Be be that guy or that gal that will help others in need. And and I want to focus a little bit just in closing on lead a quiet life. Why would a loud mouth like Paul tell people to lead a quiet life? Paul did not lead a quiet life. But he's telling Christians in general, not all of you are called to be pastors. Not all of you are called to be missionaries. Okay? So he says, it'd be nice if, if a little, at least you spend a decent amount of your time with your mouth shut and working hard. Mind your own business. Yeah, we got to share the gospel, but he understood. He said that that desire, I just want to lead a quiet life and serve Jesus and raise my family and witness to my neighbors. There's nothing wrong with that. I want the government off my back. There's nothing wrong with that. God didn't institute human government to mess with you. 
It was to serve you and protect your God-given rights so you could be all that God called you to be. But how could Paul tell Christians, make a general statement to lead a quiet life when he didn't live, lead a quiet life? This is what I've been saying, brothers and sisters. Hear me out on this. This is important now. God calls some of us to be loud. Okay? We're reaching on radio like 50,000 people a week. Okay? On the internet, we're trying to reach more people. Okay? God's called some of us to be loud. God's called you to be loud. You be loud. I grew up among a loud people. Italians and the Portuguese in Essex County, New Jersey. When I took my wife and daughter back there, they could not believe that six different people would be having different conversations with me simultaneously. And if I'm interested in this one, my dad would grab my face, turn it towards him, and just keep talking. And I'm still listening to them. It's like, I don't know. um, But God made me. God made me loud. So I'm going to be loud for Jesus. You want to shut me up? Well, you kill me. And you just bring me in his presence. But what was me if I don't preach the gospel? God made me loud. God makes most Christians kind of quiet. You still share Jesus, but you're quiet. 70 years of the Soviet Union cracking down on Christianity, and the loud guys all got locked up, and some of them got killed. And guess what? There was a quiet underground church. When the Soviet Union fell, you had, you had solid, born-again, Bible-believing Christians who love King Jesus. So if God calls you to be quiet, you be quiet. I love quiet people. I married a quiet lady. You know? I talk too much, and, and then uh, she's a quiet lady. So if we both talk too much, it'd be like we wouldn't even know each other. God's called us, most of us, to a quiet life. We mind our own business and we work. We need more love, more power. We dedicate our bodies to the Lord, okay? There's a time to be quiet. And there's a time to be loud. God calls you to be loud. You be loud now. It's going to get you in trouble. If God calls you to be loud, you be loud now. And you preach the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob become a man. If God's called you to be loud, you be loud. God's called you to be quiet, you be quiet. We got right now, I think we got like four, maybe five house churches that God is building. And they're still part of our family. But when things get hot in the kitchen in America, we're probably not going to be able to meet here. And some of us will probably get locked up, but we're going to have house churches. And we're going to be strong. And some of us in a loud way, and some of us in a quiet way. We're going to preach Jesus. Even in the midst of a culture that hates Jesus, we will preach Jesus. Some of us in a loud way, some of us in a quiet way. And to do that, In word and deed, if we're going to teach people about Jesus, we need more love and more power. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in Jesus' Jesus' precious name, we love each other. Help us to love each other more. We love you. Help us to love you more. Help us, Lord, prevent us from being lazy, busybodies. Help us to be and to do what you called us to do. You didn't call us to be spectators. You called us to be warriors. You called some of us to be loud warriors. I pray for the loud warriors here, Lord, that uh, if they get locked up, I pray that next man up that we'd be loud for you. Some of us you'd call to be quiet, to be as wise as serpents. Meet in the home and be ready if the church has to go underground. 
Give us more love. Give us more power. Give us more of you, your son, and your spirit in our lives so we can be pleasing in your sight. Father, in Jesus' precious name, may our bodies be living sacrifices to you. Father, in Jesus' precious name, prepare us for the dark days ahead so that we could be light in the midst of the darkness. May your Son come in glory to reign upon the earth. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you, everybody.